So uh, anybody has permission to record it? I just can't give permission to distribute it. So there, now we <laughs> got that out of the way. I just note that I saw a little article on the U.S. Department of Transportation, and uh, it seems like there's 10% more, more than 10% more fatal traffic accidents this year with less driving miles. So, gee, I wonder what could be causing that. It's, it's really sad. A lot to pray for. All right. So we want to talk about charity. The greatest virtue. Charity. With charity, we love God because He's infinitely lovable. It's it's a it's a virtue. It's a it's a supernatural virtue, which means God places it in, into us. It's something completely beyond our nature. But we love God because He's infinitely lovable and infinitely good, and He placed this ability to love Him in there. And we love our neighbor because God loves him. So it's not because we're attracted to our neighbor. It's not because our neighbor has is going to do something good for us. Our neighbor could be uh, beating us up. Our neighbor could be our enemy. But we love him because God loves him. And so we love others for this precisely because of that. Frank Sheet had a witty way of talking about theological virtues. He said, by the virtue of faith, we believe the unbelievable. And with hope, we hope in the hopeless. And we can hope in the hopeless. And with charity, we can love the unlovable. That's somewhat flippant, but it makes a point that all these things are beyond our power, is, is the basic point. Because they are beyond our power. It's something completely unheard of and unseen in the world. And it's what, you know, when it, when it hit, for example, the Roman Empire, the charity, it just blew people away. And people flowed into the church because of the charity they saw in others. And they came into the church, though they knew it was a death sentence if they got caught. And, and the Romans didn't mess around. It wasn't this long, drag-out, 14-appeal thing. You were dead. So it's just incredible uh, virtue that came into the world, and we, we forgot about it. Now, there's such a thing as false charity. False charity looks like charity, but it isn't. Well, for example, uh, it's, it's like either indulgence and weakness is a kind of a false charity or a, a sentimentality. Uh, and uh, but it's not real charity. Uh, you can see. Uh, I guess I'd, I'd say uh, the ecumenical movement, for example, has a real problem with this because at the ecumenical movement they want everybody to get along. But the foundation of any kind of true union in the faith is union in the faith, which is below. You know, so you have faith, hope, and charity. So the faith has to be. You have to grant Christ our Lord died. To give us these truths, every one of the truths the Catholic Church teaches is worth dying for. And so we can't gloss over them or dance around or pretend they're not there and all that in some misguided effort to have everybody come together because then they're coming together on a lie. And if they're coming together on a lie, that's false charity. It's not true charity at all. You see this all the time with people that are appear to be good, but they're not good in a theological sense, in the sense of charity. This is not good. This is really bad because it's betraying our Lord. We don't have the right to modify anything. The right attitude is God said it, I believe it, that settles it. So we don't have the right to change anything. We have an obligation, in fact, to try to spread the gospel to everybody around us. But that doesn't mean with a two-by-four. But that being said, this ecumenism is really a false ecumenism where everybody's supposed to get along and pretend that we're all agreeing on the same things when nothing could be farther from the truth. That's a false charity, for example. We're all going to pray together for peace, and therefore abortion, and we're not. Well, you know, there's no... Wait a minute. 
There's nothing to pray about here. Well, I'll pray for your conversion, but I can't pray with you for that for peace because you're. This is worse than war. If that you, you see, it's stuff like this. So this false ecumenism would be an example of it. We have right now another phenomenon, which is kind of charity grown cold. You know, our Lord talked about that time coming. To understand this a little bit, we should say that God actually uses others to show His love for us. So we learn about the love of God from others. In the first place, from our parents. Our dad really models God the Father, and our mom, the church, and our lady. We get refractions of them through that. So, and it's less than perfect because they're obviously neither party can stand up to that. But still, God is using that in that way. That, and we're learning about that. And we begin to realize when we have, when people are loving us, our parents and then others like that, that if this person can love me so much, how much more God can love me, who is real love. This is one of the horrors of family breakups and the, the kind of unbelievable damage it does to people because they need that. It's also part of the horror of the crisis in the priesthood. The, the priesthood you have, uh, there's two different aspects of it. So if a priest priest that's there that, that's learning to love his people, let's just say that, if he's got charity, but you know, he's not going to show up and be the cure of ours out the gate unless he's the cure of ours. So he shows up, but he meets his people, he knows his people, he gets to know them, and they start realizing Father loves us. And right about then, they move him. And then they move the next one in, and then they move him, and on and on it goes. And pretty soon, you've cauterized their hearts. Because if God loved me, who is this guy? This is a stranger. I don't get to experience that love. On the other hand, with the priest, if he's not careful, it'll cauterize his heart too. But you, you're there, and you actually know your people. Any any priest that knows his people, a lot of people, in order to keep going, all they need is a little kind of a, a slap on the back, so to speak. Hey, you're doing all right. How things are going? And just that little reaching out to them, they can take a lot because they know they're loved. And they know they're cared for. They start knowing what charity is, Because charity is not like in this world. If you haven't experienced charity, you don't really know what it is. It's just a weird word. I mean, I'm not not trying to be irrelevant. And uh, and unfortunately, I think a lot of the priests haven't experienced it or not clearly. At least in my experience, because although I'm a priest, you know, we all need priests. And you're like, holy mackerel. One of the things I do, this I'm a little... Right now, not so much, but I, I like to go into little cheap uh, cafes with other priests because you can learn everything you need to know about the guy just by watching how he treats the waitress. You never tell him that. You just sit there because this is just a little person and you just watch how he treats the waitress and you'll know a lot about about him and whether you really want him in your parish, anywhere near your people, etc. Because your people are little people except for the ones that aren't, but the little people are the ones... So anyway... To go back to the crisis in the priesthood, without charity in the priesthood, a lot of people don't, aren't going to experience the love of God because they're going there and they're thinking, and how much worse with this homosexual thing where, where you have predators. I'm not just talking about hitting on the altar boy. It's just the whole homosexual thing itself. It's all turned on in itself. They're all about themselves. They're all so broken and messed up that they can't give the love that people need and the charity they need. So you're building on a foundation that's so broken because you got to be a man in the first place. Besides, if you're homosexual, what kind of a... You're not giving anything up to be a priest. It's like, what is this? This is just weird. And plus, you're an occasion of sin by living with other guys. So the whole thing is very, very strange and unfortunate because the charity of Christ is not experienced through that in that situation. You might get false charity, but you're not going to get real charity, huh? So, if people... Uh, 
experience the love of God through others, they can start realizing, wait a minute, they, be, they start becoming free because they realize that they can be loved in spite of themselves. Because from original actual sin, people are going to, even if they love themselves, it will be disordered and it will be a selfish self-love to start off with. They're not going to have the kind of self-love that we're called to in the Gospels, a love of charity for ourselves. They're going to have something else and it will be selfish. But as they discover that, wow, I'm loved. You know, this person loves me in spite of myself because God's using that. They'll put them to the test. You see this like with couples going out. It's pretty common. Uh, There'll be some kind of a test, the other one, to see if they really love them. It's just instinctive. I don't even know it's planned out. I just, human beings work that way because they want to know that they're loved and they want to know it's not fake and, and so much things are fake. And on the other hand, with us, when we have charity, we can start unattaching. You know, we talked about this briefly before, but we can be, we can be detached from things. We can actually love people because God loves them. And we don't have the right to not love anyone God loves. So this is why we can love our enemies. That doesn't have anything to do with liking our enemies. We love our enemies if we we can say a prayer like, God, make him happy in this life and the next, or God, make her happy in this life and the next. It doesn't matter if your passions are raging right now because that act of love is in your will. You couldn't say it unless you willed it. So you say, God, make him happy in this life and the next. You're loving your enemies. You're loving anybody that is. But But we're not loving to get loved in return. Obviously, with our enemies, that's not the goal. We're not loving to get loved in in return because we're free. We're unattached from it in that way. Because the love that we're loving with is love that's charity. Our our language is weakness. But this love, it's from God. It's not from us. That person or object is loved by God. And we're using that love that God gave us to love that person. And we know that we're loved by God, and the world can't take that away. So we don't have any fear of rejection. This is my enemy. Who cares? He's already rejected me. I don't have any fear about that. I'm loving him anyway. Do you see? That's the important thing with charity in that way. So we love our neighbor in the context of charity. That's what it means. So we will what's best for him, what's most pleasing to God. And that's what it is. It's not the same at all as kindness, because charity might call us to, to... to rebuke him severely if they're if they're doing something bad, our neighbor, because that'd be the charity. It also, in a time like ours, you know, the modern lepers are going to be people uh, for a lot of us that have gotten a shot. We don't have the right to just drive all these people like they, they're not on the world. They need our love. They need our prayers. They need our kindness. We need to care for them if they're sick. If a woman's pregnant, these kind of things, one would have to use a little more discretion because of the way they're shedding, so that's a slightly different thing. But except in real circumstances like that, we have to be like Mother Teresa. She wasn't worried that these people have something wrong. She's going to pick them up and love them, even if they're spitting on her. And we have to have this thing. So I'm 100% against the shot. I couldn't be any stronger against the shot than I am. But... That being said, we have to love the people, and you know, there but for the grace of God go you or I anyway. So who who are we? We we can say this is bad, but a a lot of people have been driven, especially by fear and very horrible, horrible advice, into the situation, and we just have to love them for where they're at and be there for them in that way. So with charity too, we can see this situation and the whole thing the world's going through in different light. Fear needs to just be driven out, but perfect love casts out fear, we're, we're told, the scriptures tell us. And, and we're talking about charity there, but what we want to see in all, any suffering, 
and that's what charity gives us a power, is it's actually a gift from God. It's not just a punishment, even when it is a punishment sometimes. I remind you of St. Dismas. His crucifixion was the greatest gift God could give him in order to save him. That's what he needed to do, is be crucified right next to our Lord, so he could become St. Dismas. And so that was a gift from God, that God gave him. And if we see our crosses like that, then we can see our suffering is here to purify us. It's God's love working on us in a way in this life. So we don't have to go to purgatory. So we can do so much good for the world. And if we can do that, it's going to change us, but it's going to change the world. Because everybody that starts carrying their cross the way Christ wants us to, that's the whole problem with the world is that's what's not going on. That's the only good thing that we can do with, with suffering is embrace it. In, in the way that God wants us to, and to purify, and see it as God's love. And ask ourselves in prayer, what is God showing me right now? What do I need to work on? And it doesn't mean suffering isn't suffering. I want to underline that. <laughs> this, this isn't some weird Eastern uh, technique where, where we, we get to the point where we're just passionless and everything that happens to us, does, you know, we're not Stoics at all. Or, or, you know, so on some eightfold Buddhist path or whatever, it's not that at all. We are going to suffer when we suffer, but what is God showing me now? Why, why is this cross in my life? What is it purifying? What is He letting me know I need to work on? This is really important. It's the same, we, you know, like with attacks. I'll just parenthetically make this remark. With an attack that's clearly, uh, that's clearly an attack, you can look at it and say, why was that permitted? And it's So you reflect right back on yourself and say, God's letting me know this happened, but it's showing me something I need to work on. Or otherwise this wouldn't be going on. This temp- series of temptations wouldn't be going on. This attack, it's actually very, very charitable of God to let me know, oh, that's something I need to work on here. Instead of pointing our finger out at whatever it is and going, hey, we can look at ourselves and say, hey, that's really, that's super useful. Now I know what I need to work on. I was looking for it and there it is. Okay? So, everybody needs to be loved. There's just a search for love, but it's all confused. And the devil has taken advantage of this to make this, I mean, basically we live in a brothel, I'm sorry to, to put it that way, but that's the state of our society. But why is it like that? It's because people need to be loved and they're confused and they think this is love. And then they keep trying all these different things and, and somehow it doesn't work because that's not how it's supposed to work. But that being said, what they're looking for isn't bad, the way they're looking for it is bad. What they're looking for is that love that only Christ can bring them. And that can be brought to them directly from God or through their neighbor who has true charity, who isn't looking for something like that, isn't looking for a, quote, good time with the person, is looking for that person to to, to help them get to heaven in some way. So people are searching for love. Even this job, why is that? It's fear. They want to be loved. They don't want to be ostracized. They, they want to be along with the group. They don't want to lose a, a job. All these different things. But uh, but so much of it's fear, and love would take that away. So what are we called to do? We're called there, among other things, you know, with charity, to be there for them, to reach out, to support, to give of ourselves. The example, at a natural level, how moms take care of babies, especially at night. The baby just doesn't lay there and, and pitch a fit all night. Uh, mom's up there taking care of, fussing over it. When she needs her sleep, that's okay. She's going to take care of that baby because that's what that baby needs. And if we look at people around us, and it's not being unfair, as having the needs, they're, they're just not babies anymore, but they have those kind of needs too. And as you get older, you get clever at hiding the ways you need it, basically, even though a lot of times people can see through it. We just need to reach out. 
just even a smile, but support. And not be uh, discouraged when people uh, reject it. Don't don't be discouraged at all of that, because they rejected Christ, too. So, oh well, I, I needed to be rejected today, I guess. It's feeling too good about myself in the wrong way. So calling somebody up to see how it's going. Because people are so closed in. That's another weird thing. With all the all the technological ways to get along, they don't actually know how to communicate anymore. I, I, I heard a really funny story from someone <laughs> sitting right here years ago. It was funny in a horrible way, where uh, these two high school kids go, you know, from some small town in North Dakota, go out on a date, and they thought it was a great date because they sat across from each other and text. Seriously, you can't even have a human conversation across the table over a Coca Cola or something. But this is where we're at. And it is that bad. It's just that bad. But when she told me this, I just thought, well, that's just, uh, that's, that's completely classic because it's sort of a description of our society. So just reaching out to people in a human way is, uh, I'm not saying texts are bad, but that sort of thing. I mean, you're on the cross the table. Just say hi. Smile at them. This is complicated. So how's it going? But what are we here? Our whole test is about charity. That's what it all is. Because when we go to die, that, well, that's going to be the question. Do we have charity in our soul? That's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. You have to have faith and hope because they're foundational for charity. Faith is the bottom layer there. But uh, that's what the test is. That's what our judgment is on charity. That is our judgment. So once you know that, you go, wait a minute. This is what, how the game is scored. Why don't I try to rack up the biggest score I can before I, I'm out of here? Because that's this. We're just passing through. Like I tell people often, I wouldn't wish a hundred years on my worst enemy, but some people have to live that long, and that's just their cross. But I want out of here. But even if you were here for a hundred years, you just say, "Well, God's leaving me here longer, so I can do more charitable charitable works." Okay, the whole test is about charity, but it's it is a test. Okay, so we all need love. For us. If we're going to be charitable, we have to fix our will to the will of God. What is God's will? So we know that in all the teachings. And again, I, I emphasize, if you don't actually know in a moral situation, you just say, all right, what would be most pleasing to God over the long run? Or what would be most charitable? And you just run with that. You can't give what you don't have. Charity is a gift. We should beg for it every day. Because it's a gift. God doesn't owe it to us. It's a gift. So we should ask him for it and ask him for it. He doesn't owe it to us, but ask him for it. Because he'll give it to us, but we have to ask. We keep on asking. And as we ask, as we grow in charity, since we're all in the mystical body, these things will flow through us and into others. That's what, that's the whole goal of it. Everybody we come in contact, somehow we want to be able to pass that on. And if they don't reject it, and they're disposed to it, it'll go in, or it'll dispose them for receiving it. But without getting into all the, the underlying theology of that, we want to have that so that it can flow through us. God can use us as channels of his grace in that way. So we're not doing it to gain charity. We're doing it to pour it out in that sense. We're trying to grow in that. Now, I will say something in this context a little bit more about, I mentioned the priests in the beginning, and I want to say a little bit more about it is the real the real reason, I think, in my opinion, the fundamental reason for the, the, the catastrophe in the priesthood is right here at this at this virtue. If you, let's go to the formation of guys. The charitable thing to do if if a young man comes to a seminary and 
has inclinations not towards girls is to send him home instantly. He shouldn't get in, but send him home instantly because he just isn't suitable material. And he can get to heaven, but not acting out like that, but also not as a priest because he's not suitable material. We need men. We don't need guys that are struggling to figure out what it is to be a man. That's a foundational issue. Another level of charity that's not observed, the young men that are coming in, especially now where people are so damaged, should be helped very much, but if they have sinful habits that they're not over, they should be given all the help they can in the first year or so uh, to get over that kind of thing, and if they don't, they should be invited to leave. Now, there's ways of doing it. I don't want to get into all that, but they should be told that they really have to go to their director and excuse themselves, because if you can't stay pure, this is not the right job, because the devil is going to know that, and it's not like... Yeah, so he just needs to go do something else. That doesn't mean he's a bad guy. That's just a sign of that. It's also charity is rooted in truth. So it's so uncharitable not to tell the truth about what the teaching of the church is. So at, at the seminary level, it should be like that. And it's so uncharitable. And it's uncharitable because they call God a liar in most of the seminaries in the world, what is called scripture study. Because at the end of the day in scripture study, it's not really about what God's word is. It's about what a bunch of... of scholars say this, that, or other things. So you're not really entering into the Word of God and getting familiar with that and seeing what the fathers and saints have said about it. It's more what do the scripture scholars say and stuff like this. So it becomes a weird academic exercise instead of a, a, a means of growing in virtue. And yet your job, your primary job as a priest is to say the office. You have to say the office and all of it every day under the pain of mortal sin. You don't have to say Mass every day. In fact, during the Triduum, we don't get to. But that being said, uh, you have to say the office every day. And, and so you're, you're going to be in the Word of God as your primary job, and yet they've distanced you. All these things have to do with charity. You should have true theology. That's charity. And then uh, kind of the way the church is being run right now. It's extraordinary. You talk about false charity. They talk, so from on high we're told to accompany people. Well, what do you mean by that? If you're telling me to take people that are that are in serious sin and give them communion, what, am I supposed to accompany to hell? No priest should leave the royal road of the cross to go down and start on the wrong road. What he wants to do is call everybody and bring everybody up to following Christ's bloody footsteps, not run away from them to go down into the gutter in that way. You want to bring people up out of that sort of life, whatever bondage they're in, the homosexuality, they're shacked up, all these different things. But we're getting exactly the opposite from on high. We're getting exactly the opposite, and that really is the the giant drama right now, Is and it's at the level of charity. There's not charity. How can you have a devil worship in the Vatican Gardens and then march a devil, image of a devil, into St. Peter's and enthrone it? And then commemorate it on this day last year uh, with a, a 10-euro coin. So you had the 10-euro coin with the with the, the, the that patch demon, extremely pregnant, and from the Vatican, a 10-euro Vatican coin, and a 10-euro Vatican coin with St. Peter welcoming the immigrants. So it's pretty obvious the symbolism of that. So this this devil is about to give birth to a new church and St. Peter, the thing is, you know, everybody's going to be welcome, except you, of course. But I mean, this is not charitable. Why would the, the Vatican State issue a coin with a devil on it? I mean, that's just so astonishing, you can't believe it. You need to have charity. You can't have charity like that. And to sit here and slap people on the back 
sign these treaties with the Muslims and the, the Masons and everybody else as if we're all one big happy family and they use all this world human fraternity. We're one big unhappy family. The only way to be happy is to join Christ and his church and be united in charity.